following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's teaching comes from FIBC Senior Pastor Senior Pastor N. Eric Nielsen. If I were to ask you, what is the one verse of scripture you know by heart and that you can recite it right now? John 3.16? What is the verse that every Christian knows and can recite by heart right now? Probably the Lord's Prayer is my guess. Right? If I all said, let's all bow and pray the Lord's Prayer, you'd all be able to pray the Lord's Prayer, most likely, because most Christians learn that very early on in their life as a Christian. But if there's one scripture, one verse, that every person of the Old Covenant is expected to know by heart, it would be called the Shema Israel, or for short, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. An observant Jew will pray these verses of Scripture morning and evening of every day of his life. Morning and evening, twice a day, the Shema Israel. Imagine if you were to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, morning and evening, for all of your life. The Shema Israel, in fact, by tradition, by later tradition, has become three passages of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, chapter 11, verses 13 through 21, and Numbers chapter 15, 37 through 41. That's a lot to memorize. But every Jew, almost what makes him Jewish or makes her Jewish is that they know the Shema. And today, in our journey through the Old Testament, as we continue learning about the God who revealed himself to Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, the one who revealed himself to Israel and their forefathers, hopefully will also capture the significance of these words. Because after these words of, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, Moses commands the Israelites, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the central creed of all the people of the Old Covenant, and I believe it's equally important for us, you and I who are part of the New Covenant. Jesus, after all, affirmed these words as the greatest command ever. And I believe that if we get this commandment right, then the, all the others have a possibility of following. If we get this commandment right of love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, then we have a chance of getting the other commandments right. But if we get it wrong, if we don't love the Lord, then I'm not sure we can get any of the commandments right. Jesus said this was the greatest commandment, that you shall love the Lord your God. Now, as I was preparing for this message, it was difficult for me to try to organize the sermon because chapter 5 through 11 has a lot of Moses' urging of the Israelites to be faithful to their covenant that they have with the Lord. And he repeats himself often. The commands, the reminders, the warnings are very similar again and again. And um, so I began to look carefully at what he was saying, and I realized 
that Moses is undergirding his commands and his statements with at least four character qualities of the Lord God, of who he is. In other words, that you are to do all of these things because God is. And you'll see in your notes what I'm getting at, if you look at your uh, covenant people notes, the four things that Moses says. The Lord is one. And they undergird all of those instructions he has about serving and worshiping him only. And the Lord is a jealous God, is the second of these. And third, the Lord is the faithful God. And the Lord is the great and awesome God. So all of these commands of love him and do not follow the gods of the peoples and fear him and do not fear your enemies, they're all undergirded by who God is. His character qualities support the commandments to do. It's sort of like when you were told, you know, you really ought to marry that person. Why do you think so? Well, he's kind and he's considerate and he's wealthy and he's good looking and whatever else that you, they might have encouraged someone to, to, you should marry that person. At least those are the things that people told my wife, but, um, <laughs> and they said something about strong muscles and all that too, but never mind those things. But all of these character qualities are so significant for who the Lord is that that's why you should love Him and love Him only. That's why you should fear Him and fear no one else. It's because of who He is. And we do the same if we recommend a business partner. You know, you should, they're, they're, they are good with their books or they're solid, they, they invest well. All of those things, you look at the character qualities and then you have all these recommendations that you should do and instructions and those kinds of things. And so we're going to look at those four, four character qualities of God that Moses is drawing attention to. And then secondly, we'll try to understand next the command he had the Israelites to teach these commandments to their children, the significance of having these commandments in your heart and then teaching them to your children. And finally, and of equal importance this warning, do not forget the Lord your God. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I encourage you to bring their Bibles every week, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Beginning in verse 1, after Moses has repeated the Ten Commandments, as you remember from last week, the Deuteronomy is known as the second law. It's not really a second law, but it's the law again, uh, with many other detailed instructions about the law. So first in chapter 5, you have the Ten Commandments all over again, and the urging to follow and listen to the Lord and obey His commandments. And in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, these are the commands decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Remember from last week they were on the eastern shore of the Jordan and they were ready to move across the Jordan to then take possession of the land that had been promised them. So that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Sometimes that's translated, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And then verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build and houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So first, love the Lord your God, and then we're going to talk about teaching them to your children, these commands, and then finally, do not forget the Lord. Love the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is one. It reveals the fact that there is only one God, only one supreme being that is in this universe. Not two, not three, not several. The Lord is God alone. And the Lord, that is his name, Yahweh, Jehovah. In the English Bibles, you'll see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D to indicate the holy name of God that the Israelites wouldn't even repeat. They would say Adonai, which is Master or Lord. There is only one. And the emphasis on there being only one makes it clear there is no other God. No matter what the others, the, the qualities of divinity the other people may have attributed to their so-called deities. There is only one God. And Jesus affirms this quality. Even as he's claiming that he, is, he and the Father are one, the Father sent him, I and the Father are one, he says. And it was necessary for the Christian church then to formulate what we call today the doctrine of the Trinity. Because all through the scriptures, there is only one God. And yet Jesus called his Father the Father, and himself the Son, and he said that the Father and I will send the Spirit. So how can there be only one God if there's three persons that are being indicated? And that's where the doctrine of the Trinity comes about, to explain what it is that the Scriptures reveal about God, that there is only one God, and yet he is Father, Son, and Spirit, so three persons in one being. And so to embrace the Lord as it says in the Apostles' Creed, is to believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and to believe in Christ Jesus, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. All through the New Testament, as Paul teaches about the food being offered to idols, he says there is only one God. So even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, he says, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So all of the instructions that Moses has here about worshiping the Lord and worshiping Him only is based upon the fact that there is only one God. Anything else is just a pretender. Hence, first and second commandments, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make yourself an idol. Hence, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Not just part of it, because there is only one Lord. And the commandment, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, because the Lord is one. Now, the Lord also is a jealous God. Earlier in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, the Lord came right out and said, He says, do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Well, how can this God be a jealous God? Isn't jealous a negative thing? Isn't that a bad thing to be? Well, the mention of God being jealous is always in the context of the possibility that his people might turn to something or someone else. 
gods or idols that aren't really God anyway, things that they would love and worship and submit themselves to that they ought not submit themselves to anyway. We usually associate jealousy with a negative emotion, but the Hebrew root of this word conveys a very positively strong emotion, a passionate desire. The negative of these would be better termed as envy. But jealousy is a good kind of zeal, an intense passion that the Lord has for His people. The kind of jealousy that a wife would want her husband to be jealous that he wouldn't have anything else that might steal his attention away, just his own wife. And the Lord demands in our relationship with him that we exclude all others, just like one would expect in a covenant of love. When I perform a wedding ceremony and the marriage vows I took myself, were very clear, do you so-and-so take thus and such to be your wedded wife? And do you solemnly promise that you will love, honor, and cherish her and get this, forsaking all others for her alone, that you will perform unto her all the duties that a husband owes to his wife as long as you both shall live. Phineas was a priest in Numbers chapter 25. He was commended by the Lord because when the Israelites had committed idolatry and joined themselves with Baal of Peor through the relationships with Midianite women that they had had, Phineas was passionate about keeping the people holy, and he brought swift judgment on the Israelite who had joined himself with the Midianite woman. And the Lord says he was jealous with my jealousy. See, idolatry to the Lord is just like adultery. God's love for His people is emotional and passionate, so He says to them, love the Lord your God. It isn't just a dutiful obedience. Yes, there's duty. Yes, there's obedience, but there's love. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love, and love is from God, and the one who abides in love abides in God. The relationship that God is seeking with us is a love relationship. It's an emotion and a passion that drives a decision and a commitment to love and he expects us to love him alone. Now, this knowledge that God loves his people jealously, those are the one, that, that knowledge should undergird all of the commandments about do not test the Lord, make no treaty with the nations that are around you, because they will turn your sons away from following me and serving other gods. And the Lord was angry enough to destroy you, Moses reminds them in chapter 9, verse 7, when they sinned against the Lord and made an idol out of, uh, in the shape of a calf. And do not bring any of the enemy's detestable things into your house. All of those commands that you'll read in Deuteronomy chapter 5 through 11 are because the Lord your God is a jealous God. But the Lord your God is also a faithful God. He will not break his covenant that he has made with you. He has set his, his affection on you and redeemed you because he swore an oath to your forefathers, Moses reminds the Israelites. See, they were going to take possession of the land, but not because they were righteous in themselves but because God had already made a promise to their forefathers. They were not righteous. They were, in fact, stiff-necked. Chapter 9, verse 6, or stiff-necked. And the Lord would drive out the nations because of the nation's wickedness to accomplish what He swore. And He will be faithful to discipline those who disobey, and He will be faithful to reward those who obey. And you can read all the wonderful blessings of having a fruitful womb, of having a fruitful land, grain and wine and oil and fruitful livestock and being free from disease 
and all of their attempts to move into the land to displace the people that were in Canaan was guaranteed. They would win because God promised an oath and he would be faithful. So all of those reminders to follow the Lord's commands, to be careful to observe them, include also the assurance that God is faithful to discipline you if you disobey and reward you if you obey, because he will keep his promises. There's no one greater or mightier than he who could prevent him, whereas you and I, we might sometimes not be able to keep all promises, but the Lord can. And finally, it's related also to their conquest of the land. Don't be afraid of the people there. Don't be terrified of them. Why not? Why wouldn't I be afraid of those people? Because if I should say in my heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? See, Moses was already anticipating they would have their doubts. But reminds them, the Lord crushed the Egyptians with his mighty hand and outstretched arm to bring you out of Egypt. Therefore, don't be terrified by the people of the land, because the Lord your God who is among you is the great and awesome God. I don't think I have to explain great to you. I think you'll under, you understand that, word, except for sometimes it's used sarcastically, right? Yeah, it's raining again today. Ah, great. We don't really mean great, do we? But the word awesome today is used not quite like it's used in the Bible. Awesome today and everything is awesome. You know that song from the Lego movie, right? Awesome means fear-inspiring. So why be afraid of your enemies if the one to fear is the one who is on your side? The Lord your God who is among you is the great and awesome God, the great and fear-inspiring God. And again and again, Moses urges them, be courageous. The Lord God will send the hornet. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. He will give their kings into your hand again and again. Don't fear your enemy. Fear the Lord. Yes, you will have nations who are greater and stronger than you. Yes, there will be cities that are large and have high walls. But the Lord your God who is among you is the great and awesome God. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords in verse 10, verse 17. The great God, mighty and awesome. So you and I today, I believe we can take these words to our own heart and recognize that the Lord, He is the only God that we worship. So there should be no other. To remind ourselves as well that He is a jealous God. He doesn't want anything else to steal away and to distract us from our love relationship with Him. To remember as well that we can trust Him completely because He's faithful to all of His promises. He has a 100% faithful record. None of us can match that. And we should fear no evil or enemy. Instead, take courage, have confidence, because as the Scriptures say, if God is for us, who can be against? So remember that as you read Deuteronomy chapter 5 through 11, the Lord our God is one he is a jealous God, He is a faithful God, and He is the great and awesome God. Now Moses tells them as well in verse 6 that these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. See, it's not just something to take into your minds, to just know them mentally. It is to hide them in our hearts. The first four commands are all about our relationship with Him, us being related to Him exclusively. The next six commands are about our relationship with others. And there were many, many, many other commandments, but it was not enough that the people knew in their minds only 
these commandments. It was important that they knew to do right and wrong, good and evil, because these commands were in their hearts. It should be internalized, not just a mental ascent. It is a love relationship that involves heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know when someone says, oh, I know it by heart, right? It means that you can recite it, you don't even have to think about it again, but I believe that God wants us always, whether it's the Lord's Prayer or something that we can recite by heart, to think through exactly what it means. And there's meditations that would go along with the Shema as well. And even today as they pray that meditations morning and evening, because it shouldn't just become something that you know by rote, but something that you've taken into your heart. And hopefully, if I love the Lord and His commandments, then I will obey them because I love Him, not just because it's my duty to do it. Now, the, uh, Moses says to impress them on your children. Notice that it must first be in your hearts, and then you can impress them on your children. Those commandments should be part of the daily conversation at home, on the road, at the start of the day, at the end of the day. We tend to think of discipleship as, a, as structured lessons, but there are natural times throughout the day when God's laws should be discussed. Moses even gave an example. In the future, when your son asks you what is the meaning of the stipulations and decrees and laws that the Lord has commanded you, then you shall answer, he says. So the discipleship of children was not the responsibility of the priest or any institution. The discipleship of the children was the responsibility of the parents. And too often, Christian parents expect, well, I'm going to send my kid to Sunday school. I'll send them to youth group. I'll let the youth pastor speak to my child and bring them to Christ and disciple them. And to be honest, because I've done youth ministry as well, sometimes it's the youth minister that will usurp the parents by saying, just send your kids to us. We'll teach them. No, friends, God's model is it is the parents that must teach the children. They have the unique position and the lion's share of time to teach and admonish and correct and encourage in the ways and the instructions of the Lord. Now, here at FIBC, we made that deliberate choice when we called an assistant pastor of youth and families, that we called someone who would buy into this exact same philosophy that is scriptural, that we as a church, we come alongside the families and the parents. We aren't the ones that must teach and disciple your children. We come alongside and help you as you teach your children. That's what our orange curriculum is all about. Keep the parents informed and involved in what the children are learning. Our youth group is decidedly outreach-minded so that our children can invite their friends. It isn't the place that we will do all of the Christian teaching. The Christian teaching happens in your home, and we provide an opportunity for your kids to invite their non-Christian friends. Life group for the, the older youth is a means to help our parents with their older teens to begin to take some of the ownership of the truths that they've learned at home to be an additional voice, not the only voice, in encouraging them to live by God's Word. Our missions trip to Warsaw, it is deliberately, decidedly one that families can go on so that together as a family you do missions together. We make our men's fellowship event something for men and their sons. See, because if the Lord's commandments are in the hearts of His people and they live by them on a daily basis, then they will teach it to their children as they rise, as they go to bed, as they go, as they come in, on the road, wherever they are. It's a very tangible and applicable way to see God's truth in real life. 
virtues that can be lived out. Now, the Israelites, they took these instructions very literally. They tie symbols on their hands and they bind them on their foreheads and they write them on the door frames of our houses and their gates. Now, I believe we would do well just to have Scripture read at mealtimes, to be reminded of what the Scriptures say, to speak of the Scriptures when we talk about values and say where in the Bible it says that we are to be kind to others and so on and so forth. Quoted when we discuss an issue or a value, memorized together. Now, many of you here are parents. Many of you aren't yet parents, or maybe you're already parents of older children. But the, the reminder is that not only should our Lord's commands be in our hearts, but they must also be in our homes. Finally, Moses also ends these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, that not, not to forget the Lord. He warned them that you're going to enjoy the land. You're going to have houses. You'll be filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide. And when you eat and when you are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Instead, he says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, then praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees. The heart's tendency is to become proud and self-dependent and to think it is myself that earned these wages. It is myself then that can enjoy the fruit of what I have done. And then we forget that even the ability to produce wealth, that comes also from the Lord. The Israelites were warned again and again that they would be victorious, but as they are victorious, they would be susceptible to crediting their victories to their own righteousness. We live in a Western first world country here today. You look around you, you'll notice that we have plenty to eat. In fact, we have an excessive amount of food to eat. Much is thrown away. We have an excessive amount of clothing. Most of us are comfortable. The government is stable for the time being and mostly successful at protecting us from our foreign enemies, mostly successful at protecting us from criminals in our society. The economy is growing. The stores are well stocked. Yes, we live in a good land today. How many do you think of the people here in this land honor the Lord as God? Not very much, do they? Not when there's so much. Not when there's so plenty. But as you and I are people of the new covenant, we know the Lord and we desire to live by His revealed truth. So let's make sure we don't forget Him because it's especially easy to forget Him. Here's a couple of recommendations. At your mealtime prayers, why not let those be a reflection of your gratitude and praise for the quantity and the quality of the food that you have set before you? And to recognize through your prayer that you are privileged to enjoy what you're about to enjoy. With your work, your employment, let your attitude toward it be one of thankfulness that the Lord has given you ability to earn wealth and that you will decide to honor Him with the quality of the work output that you give your employer. And while we're speaking of wealth, let your obedience to the Lord and your love for Him be demonstrated through your generosity to give back to the Lord what is really due Him and to help those who are in need. And in that way, honor Him and His gifts to you. As you read Scripture and as you pray each day, let that be a daily habit that reflects your utter dependency to live not by bread, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So you pursue his word, you study it, you're involved either in life groups or seminars or church and retreats and other places where the teaching of Scripture is central. And you come before the Word hungry, asking the Lord to feed you so that you can walk in His ways, you can serve Him and observe His commandments. And then let the zeal with which you remove any distractions, any idols, and any foreign gods, and any worldly philosophies be the way that you acknowledge that God is a jealous God. Be zealous to remove those distractions out of your life, recognizing that his love relationship with you is an exclusive love relationship, that you are to love no other as you love the Lord your God. So remember those things, I hope, to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, because the Lord is one, the Lord is a jealous God, he is the faithful God, and the great and awesome God. And let his word dwell in your heart and your home, and do not forget him. If we get this commandment right, then we're well on our way. You know, when you think of all the love songs that are written today, how many of them are all about loving someone or being loved? There's a lot of them. That's one of our greatest needs. We have that need to love and be loved, and we have that need to belong. And when we belong to the Lord and are loved by Him and love Him, then any, everything else falls right into place because then we are loved by the highest love possible, and we belong to the only one and supreme God that there is. Let us pray. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash F-I-B-C-C-P-H. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.